The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Hi, everybody. I'm Rob Benedict. Hello. I go by the moniker given to me by my parents at birth, and that name is Richard Spade Jr. And we're talking about season three, episode 15, the penultimate episode of season three. It's called Time is on My Side. Time is on my side. A song title made famous by a little pop group out of the UK, The Rolling Bears. The Rolling Bears, one of the more popular bands to come out of the British explosion of the 60s. The Rolling Bears. I, th- um, I think it was the British Invasion, but sure. British uh, oh, oh, now all of a sudden I, I didn't get the facts right. <laughs> the Rolling Bears were the not part of Bears. the British Explosion. The Rolling Stones were part Ooh. of the British Invasion, but the Rolling Bears were part of the British, British Explosion. explosion. <laughs> um, this episode of Supernatural Then and Now was recorded live in front of a virtual studio audience. Damn right it was, and we were virtually there. <laughs> Do me a so, favor, you guys, if you're not a part of Patreon... Join it. Otherwise, you're not going to see Rob in his little uh, tan hat and glasses, his whole hipster look he's got going. Yeah, like, or, or and you won't be able to see Richard uh, looking like someone who frequents a, a truck stop bathroom. Exactly. And you're, if you're missing that, you're missing everything. I mean, yeah, sure, we talk about Supernatural, but my motto when I started this podcast was and is Supernatural, Schnoopernatural. This is all about Rob and Rich. That's right. Um, so join Patreon to take part in live streams, Q&As, and bonus segments. Please do it. You'll be glad you did. Now... On with the program. Rob, why don't you, from memory, summarize the episode? Okay, here I am, completely off book. Sam and Dean Winchester hear word about a series of organ thefts in Erie, Pennsylvania. That must have really uh, triggered you, Robbie, because I know that you love to, as a musician, you love to tinkle with an organ. (laughs) I was like, where is it going? Every now and then. (laughs) Um, They interview a few of the survivors and discover that the organs were removed surgically. The victims were sewn up with silk thread, and maggots were intentionally used to clean the wounds. Ew. (laughs) Sucks being a maggot. (laughs) Very ew. Sam connects these practices to an entry in John's journal about Doc Benton, a doctor from 1816 who figured out immortality through science and alchemy. However, he must replace body parts 
whenever they wear out or get damaged. Sam thinks this might be a way to save Dean since he would have to die first in order to go to hell. Yeah, that sounds like a great idea. Zombie Dean. Zombie Dean. Um, I liked when Doc Benton almost got Sam's eyes. I was almost rooting for that. Yeah. Dean believes finding the colt is still the best path to saving himself. Yeah, because he could ride that horse to freedom. That's right. So he connects with Bobby, who tells him that he found out where Bella might be. Oh, joy. Bobby tells Dean to connect with Rufus Turner, an old hunter pal of his. He may know more about Bella's whereabouts. Well, Dean learns from Rufus that Bella killed her parents when she was <gasps> 14. Yeah. Dean finds Bella and confronts her, but she no longer has the colt. He's angry, but he can't quite bring himself to shoot her. Good, good. A little little, uh, little sprinkle of morality from old Dean Winchester. Sure. Meanwhile, Sam is able to track down Doc Benton in a cabin in the woods. By the way, what, what's with all the familiarity? What happened to Dr. Benton? You know what That's I mean? Like, why, why Doc? He's just a good old home doctor, you know, Doc yeah. Benton. Sam attempts to rescue a girl he finds there alive. However... Doc Benton chloroforms Sam, making him pass out. Oh, man. That's a lot of chloroform to bring down that stallion. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Sam awakens, and he is strapped to a table. Doc Benton wants to take out Sam's eyeballs. By the way, there's a lot of people in this chat who would love to have Sam strapped to a table, and they would also like to take something out that ends with balls, but it wouldn't start with (laughs) I. Gross. Well, Doc Benton wants to take out his eyeballs. Just before Sam loses an eye, Dean bursts in and stabs the doctor with a chloroform-dipped knife. The doctor tries to reason with the brothers. He can help Dean gain immortality, but the boys don't buy it. They chain him to an old refrigerator and bury him alive. Which really stinks, man. Yeah. I guess, I, I don't know. Well, we'll get back into that. Bella shows up at Sam and Dean's motel room, intending to shoot them. Sam and Dean are on the road already. Dean phones her and calls her out for trying to kill Sam. Yeah, busted. That, yeah. Well, she actually does shoot at them, but it turns out they're just a, you know, a uh, like a sex doll in the bed. Very timely inflatable dolls. Yeah. Uh, Dean phones her and calls her out for trying to kill Sam. He figures out that she is running because she has failed to kill Sam. Lilith. 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 Lilith holds the contract <laughs> for Dean and Bella. Bella made a deal 10 years prior to Lilith. 10 years prior? <laughs> <laughs> to kill her parents. <laughs> Dean scolds her. The boys could have helped her if she had been honest. Yeah. Bella hangs up the phone and she hears the hellhounds in the distance and we can only assume that they kill her. Dean scolds her because it was 1936 and Dean <laughs> was her headmaster and gave her a stern talking to. Uh, by the way, I have a question yeah. for you real quickly yeah. before we move on. Sure. Would would dipping a knife in chloroform knock you out? I mean, I always yeah. thought you had to you had to breathe it. I didn't know like just having it in your system would would be a thing. I mean, I think this is one of those things where you just kind of suspend belief a little bit. We're talking about a Frankenstein immortality creature. Or you and I could give the old, you know, field Science. test. <laughs> okay, sure. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like I mean, so Let's pick one of us. Say, Look, if you and I do that test, we, we both know I'm Doc Benton. Yeah, you're Doc Benton. Yeah. <laughs> you know why? Because your last name is Benedict. It makes the most sense. <laughs> right. Ben- Benedict. So I would dip something in chloroform, a, a, a knife, a needle, something. Okay. Stick it in, yeah? And then we could see what happens. Okay, well, we could do that if we're doing role play. If I get to tie you to a bench first. I knew take, it. You'd, you'd. I knew you are into me. And take your eye out. Your take beady, my eye out? beady oh. little eye. 
But you don't get to because Dean would bust in. I would, though, in our recreation. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. Um, By the way, good luck getting a scoop around these squinty mofos. No, it's going to be tough. <laughs> you better get out the tweezers. Yeah, with this little spoon. <laughs> <laughs> um, so here's my question. And this, this is important to me because she's, uh, she's uh, one of my faves, you know. Is Bella dead? One can only hope. Okay, so she, so the 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 hellhounds got her. You think? I'm assuming the hellhounds were barking. I assume weren't there to say, "Oh, we missed you. Welcome home." I assume they were there to tear her to shreds and okay. take her to hell. Well, let's hold on. Okay, we should get into you know the next portion of the program, which, which is, is Rob and Rich. Okay, so uh, so okay. Here's a question. Working backwards. If Bella is dead, I, I think I wish we would have had a, a wish we could have seen some. I feel like it was a cheat to just have arr, 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 in the background. And it was like, oh, you love this woman. You look, I was freak, watching. You have a freakish thing for her since day one. No, Leave it, even off screen. You talk about Bella to me and you want to see her ripped up by dogs. OK, look, first of all, I, I watched this episode with Ruth Connell, who played Rowena on the show. Ruth's- we also also happened to be your lover. Gross. You're gross. <laughs> you just made it really gross. Um, and Ruth said, oh, she's beautiful. I said, Ruth says she's, uh, uh, Rich doesn't like her. Rich thinks she's ugly. Rich doesn't think she's ugly. Rich doesn't like the character. Rich has no nothing against the actress. I don't like the character. Well, that's not what you're You just made it personal, which is weird, which is going to get you a little letter from her agent. Ladies and gentlemen, Rob Benedict just got canceled. Bye, Robbie. It's been a treat. The, uh, anyway, uh, I, felt I, I, don't, I don't like that character. I will say this, though. This is the first time I kind of liked the character because they gave her that backstory, which was gut wrenching. You know, she's redeemable. That, yeah, she's redeemable. Yeah, that that, that backstory made you feel something sorry for her. her. Yeah, otherwise she's just been this snarky focus chick. I I hundred actually I actually just jokes aside, I hundred percent agree with that. I, I I do think that the character was not fully fleshed out, so she just kind of seemed like a jerk who kept screwing the boys over. So no, I, you know, I actually didn't love the character either. I really like her in the walking dead. That was, that was really, so I I am kind of a fan of the actress. I think she's not, it's not about the actress. I want to make it abundantly clear. Nothing to do with the actress. The actress uh, is obviously, I haven't seen walking dead, but, but Rob loves that show. She's obviously very talented. She does a fine job playing Bella. I just don't think Bella is a great character. I think Bella was a bit of a one note trumpet. I I agree. I just agreed with you. We're in agreement. uh, Siskel. That never happens. But I definitely think that after all that season-long arc, it could have ended with more than just a howl outside the window. But maybe she's not dead yet. I don't know. Right. Um, um, what else, Rich? What else about this episode did you think? Well, I love the guy. I'm trying to look up the actor's name. So, Oh, he's uh, great. He's fantastic. Billy Drago. He- Billy Drago or Billy Drago. And he's the guy from Untouchables who uh, is so good. Wait, which one? Doc, Doc Benton. Well, who's he's, he the, he, he's the bad guy in Untouchables. He wears the white suit who kills Sean Connery and he no gets thrown way. up the building. Yeah. And he's like, your friend died screaming like a pig. What'd you say? I said, your friend died squealing like a stuck Irish pig. You remember that when I beat the rap and Kevin Costner just can't take it and throws him off the roof. Wow. He lands I, in I, the car. Bam. Completely forgot about that. Um, well, he did a great job in this. And uh, Stephen Williams also. It's great to see him. Stephen and- Williams. Great to see Stephen Williams. You know, I saw Stephen Williams in a show. It's an older show, but newer than Supernatural. 
called The Leftovers on uh, HBO. And man, oh, yeah. he was good. He was yeah. great. Did he ever do uh, conventions? I believe, yeah. I've met him. Have you? Um, I've I met him. That's where I met him, at a convention or two. No, I don't yeah. think he's done a ton, but I've seen him in a few. Yeah, I can't remember. I feel like I met him too, but I can't totally remember. It's all lovely guy and a great actor, great great addition to the supernatural universe. And again, Billy Drago or Drago, I think I think it's Drago. But uh, anyway, he's so good. Yeah, as that, in that role, and 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 a real good score for that role. I mean, gosh, you know, I mean, I know him from Untouchables. That we're talking about that movie. This episode was much closer to Untouchables coming out. That would have been a you know on the heels of his uh, work or well, closer to well untouchables was like 90 90s well okay fair 90s. enough but still like you know he's a recognizable yeah, dude that no, was a no, good get a, to play the movie. bad guy yeah he's a movie star um uh, uh what else about this episode i I've, I've written in my notes at the beginning towards the beginning he's they talk about the doc benton being the he's like what is this the walking dead I thought that was... Uh, I know. I thought that was funny. Yeah. Especially since, uh, again, Bella is like a main character in The Walking Dead. I thought that was... So, a- so they mentioned Walking Dead, but they also mentioned Dr. Quinn, Medicine Woman. So they... they I really know. Le- I know. It totally ages it. At one, at one point, it seemed like they were looking into the future, and then suddenly they're stuck in the past. Yeah. Um, um, in the scene, I like the scene where Dean's eating a burger. I love that Dean's always eating. That's his, yeah. his, his sort of through line. He's always eating, but he's eating the burger while... He's while well, Sam is discussing maggots uh, and whatnot. maggots and, and and organs and and gross stuff. And uh, I will say, I learned a little bit. I did not know that doctors used to put maggots in to eat the bad tissue. That still strikes me as gross. You know what I mean? Like, but doesn't surprise me. Doesn't surprise me. It just strikes me as gross. Do you ever watch the TV series The Nick? K N I C K. No, no, I, that kind of thing freaks me out a little it's bit. It's a masterpiece. Yeah. If anybody on this uh, podcast hasn't watched The Nick, it's a Clive Owen. Uh, starring vehicle with a uh, written and directed by Steven Soderbergh, two yeah. seasons yeah. that aired on Cinemax years ago, and then yeah. then stopped. But the first two seasons are unbelievable, worth yeah. watching, and it's about medicine at the turn of the century. Yeah, that's what I've heard. But uh, yeah, Great. not not this guy and uh, and leeches. Yeah, not a fan. But they do their thing, man. I, I guess uh, you know they do the bit where they eat the bad tissue, and there uh, uh, yeah. you go. Well, I'm glad um, that one didn't stick. I thought the eyeball. I kept wondering if did they really tape open Jared's. Like his, it looked like his eyes like were, his eyes were really, open really taped there. open for a long time. And it made me think definitely season three, because if you ran up to him in season 14 and said, we'll be taping your eyes open, he say, he'll say, you and know. what army? Yeah. <laughs> no, you won't be. Yeah. Um, I so. was really impressed with Doc Benton's precision, you know? Sure, he might be 200 years old, but he really still has that. You oh, know, he got a steady hand. That smooth, yeah. steady hand, yeah. Nice, nice, uh, nice, nice uh, what do you call it? Uh, incisioning. Yeah. And then I did think it was really, really creepy. I mean, it looked like that spoon was right up against his eyeball. Didn't it? Super creepy. Yeah. <laughs> it looked like that spoon yeah. was really right on the eyeball. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure that was a little camera trickery, but yeesh. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I believed it. Yeah. And what was that? Was that like a, a grapefruit spoon? <laughs> looked like a grapefruit. No, I think it... I, I, it you think it, it was really an old time... I mean, time... it could have been, a, could have been a, a melon baller, if that's what you mean. Um, it could have been a melon baller, but I feel like it was a... It looked like a medical instrument yeah but, but they're, they're, they're specifically these grapefruit things that have like uh, edges on one end that you yeah no i know you're talking about that sort of but this seems so scoopy like aren't those usually like spoons or are they yeah, yeah, i don't know i don't know this is i my, look like a melon baller i'm um, giving a melon baller or two in my day but in the uh in the burgers scene where dean's eating the burger i wondered how many burgers jensen had to eat i don't know because he's really the old days he's chowing down probably, on that thing probably go to eat several burgers now you go hey gee hey jensen eat a burger in this scene nope Exactly. I'll hold it. 
I'll look at it. I'll Season- look like I'm about to bite it, but I ain't biting that burger. Season three tricks. Yeah. Uh, what else? Okay, so my other thing was why why did they bury Doc Benton alive? Why didn't they like cut his head off like they would have done in The Walking Dead? Dude, that's a great point. Just cut his head off. Wow, I've never seen you clock in before yeah. ever for anything. Yeah. That was amazing. I don't know. It, but was well, I mean because he's got forever it, would, he got forever here, to get out of here's my question bridge. if you cut off his head would his head just be talking going like hey no right, I right. got nobody right but at least sure. his body wouldn't be able to at least he wouldn't be able to run around and sew his things. own head back on yeah yeah so that was a question and then uh, my other question was and again you can see I'm I'm consulting my notes Rob's notes he always takes them Rob's notes the, nobody uh, likes them Rob's notes I thought the the runner who was r- running uh, at night never a good idea uh, had oh been... no that's never, never smart kids don't run at night and if you do wear something reflective and run in a group yeah and avoid a doctor with stitches on his face that's true uh, ladies and gentlemen that was a segment we call Rob's notes it's not done I haven't gotten to my note yet oh okay he had a weird running posture Rob's notes Rob's notes <laughs> Rob's more worried about the the stride on the background performer than he is on the actual a a story. Hey, background performer, that man had a part in the show. You know what I'm saying, you. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, Bella's backstory really did help uh, sort of just flush out her character a little more. You're like, oh, okay, well, that's why. I don't know why, but somehow when you say Bella back, Bella's backstory, it's dirty. Because <laughs> I know what you're thinking. That's why, because I can look into your beady little eyes, which, by the way, everybody else can too on this. That's what, join Patreon to see Rob be creepy when he talks Listen, about Bella's backstory. People have called me a lot of things. Beady little eyes is not one of them. I've no, got that's the, not. That's not true. You, got, you, you have got big, the biggest wide, eyes in the business. crystal clear, blue, creepy eyes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm creepy. Big eyes. <laughs> yeah, hold on now. I'm an asshole. <laughs> I think, look, we got to get to our actual bearded review here. I think it was a really solid episode. I actually say that they redeemed a lot of my frustration with the Bella character by giving her a really interesting backstory and that, that and her backstory took a turn. Like, you know, when you thought she had done this terrible thing to her parents, you understood why. There's nothing creepier. There's nothing creepier to me than implied pedophilia. Ugh. And incest and oh, m- molestation. Oh, I mean, it's, the worst. it's just awful. Oh God, yeah, totally. It's the most effed up thing yeah. in the world to have a brain that that does that. And even yeah. just to just the way they shot it, just a grown man walking in a room oh, and closing God. the door. Yeah. Which, of course, nobody is. I mean, you know, the actors are twenty feet away from each other. Nothing weird. Like it's no, no, to- it's no. a very clever way of doing it. And it still it tells yeah. you all you need to know. Yep, yep. And yep. by the way, I would say that actress who played. Both young Lilith and the young Bella young were Bella, both yeah. great. Those fantastic. are brief scenes. They I love were fantastic. The, yeah, I love. I, I like the scene on the swing set when young Lilith is like, "I can kill them." Oh, she's great. She yeah. did a great job, and and young, uh, young Bella just sitting in that room with the old, you know, man in the suit closing the door behind him is just. I mean, just the look on her face is is really really weighty stuff. It's really well done, and so for, for me. That redeemed, like at the end of that, I'm like, oh man, I'm bummed that Bella's getting killed for that. That's a, it seemed like she was in the right to, right. you know, yeah. ever. Yeah. Anyway, so I, I nice job, uh, writers, uh, supernatural people to. They do to it. They always pull it together. Her. They always pull yeah. it together, you know? Even turned around this salty old son of a gun. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, you are salty old son of a gun. So speaking of salty old son of a guns, let's get to our bearded review. Okay. Of. Time is on my side. All right. I'm going to give it 
a Kenny Loggins because every frame at this point, I'm like, Whoa, it's a big deal. It's the end of the season. Uh, Dean's going to die in the next episode. I'm hanging on the edge of my seat. However, it's like Kenny Loggins when he wakes up first thing in the morning and he needs to trim it. There are a couple details that I was like, ah, I don't know why they buried him in the fridge and why did they, why did we not see the hellhounds? That felt like a bit of a cheat. There were a couple things that stuck with me. Why did that runner have a weird running posture? But it's Kenny Loggins. It's 80s. It's 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 great. I mean, I'm there, but he Kenny hasn't uh, done the beard trimmer. He right. woke up okay. with, a little bit long. I'm uh, I'm going with I'm I'm also not giving it a full Stapleton. And though I enjoyed the episode, though I think they redeemed Bella, and though I think Billy Drago was awesome, I think it was a great episode. But because it's the I hold the show to a high standard and has done some shows that have earned the full Stapleton, and I don't want to just hand those out. I'm giving it the Jim Beaver from Deadwood. Oh, wow. Yeah. Topical. The old, the old Jim Beaver from Deadwood look. Yeah. Well, I never took a picture of Kenny Loggins first thing in the morning in the 80s, so I can't give you a visual. Right. Uh, like Rich did. He just held up a picture of Jim Beaver in Deadwood. But uh, He, play, he played uh, Whitney Ellsworth in, in Deadwood. Great great series on HBO, worth going back going back to watch. And Jim Beaver has a nice, a nice Old West sort of prospector beard. It's not out of control. But it's a little old westy, right? He could use a little trimming, a little yeah. cleaning up, work for the character. Yeah. Uh, it's nice and full. It's got a lot going on. It paints a picture of the man, but it, it, it could use a little little bit of shaping. So that's that's it. I'm going to go with a very strong review, a very strong review. Yeah. A Jim Beaver from Deadwood Beard. Uh, not a Stapleton, but still a nice, solid review. Yeah. All right. Well, I stand by it. I stand by a, uh, a Loggins uh, that needs a, needs a trim. Yeah. A, a Loggins in need of uh, beer trimming and a uh, a Deadwood Beaver, Deadwood Jim Beaver. That's a good review, man. That's a good episode of TV. You know what I mean? Like that's there's nothing. Time is on my side. I can walk away proud from this review. Absolutely, Robbie. You're going to be thrilled to know this. What's that? We have an awesome guest for today's episode. What? Yes, we do. We have Shannon Coppin. Uh, dude, if you think the boys are good looking without makeup, she makes them even better looking because she was the key makeup artist. And by the way, before that, she did. Tron Legacy, Freddy vs. Jason, X-Men 2, Dark Angel, Agent Cody Banks. Wow. You know what I'm saying? Woman has a history. But let's talk to her about our shared history, Supernatural. Here she is, Shannon Coppin. Fantastic. Ladies and gentlemen, our guest today, Makeup artist extraordinaire. Somebody who had their hands all over Jared and Jensen's face for the first several seasons of the show. Uh, key makeup artist for the first three seasons. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Shannon Coppin. Hey. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, nice to see you again. I also had hands all over you at one point. I know. I, w- I thought maybe good therapy had erased <laughs> that experience from your mind. But, uh, Fun memory. I'm glad to know it hasn't. First of all, I got to tell people who are not watching this interview because very few people are. They're listening. I mean, it looks like she's doing a commercial for fireplaces. It's just like there's a guitar in the backdrop, yeah. beautiful mountain landscape out your windows. It's gorgeous. What area are you in? I'm located between um, Penticton and Carameas in BC, beautiful British Columbia. Um, I live up in the mountains in the middle of nowhere, um, probably partially gorgeous. funded by Supernatural and my four years on the show. <laughs> nice. And so uh, did you, did, how far outside of, of Vancouver is it, just for those who know Vancouver? Uh, let's say four and a half hours drive. I'm in, I'm in wine country, but I'm up in the mountains. So I'm very close to a ski resort called Apex. 
I'm about okay. 11 kilometers by crow to apex. <laughs> by the way, it, it's so much more sophisticated than as the crow flies. Like kilometers by crow is like, I feel like that's a that's a acoustic band I should go see right? in a coffee shop. <laughs> I have a gift for pretty much bastardizing any kind of colloquialism or phrase. I'll just somehow in my head rewrite it. That's fantastic. Well, there you go. That's a gift. Uh, now, speaking of gifts, you were, you know, a pioneer of the makeup field there in Supernatural. I'm curious, just for your origin story, how did you get involved in makeup? And then how did you find yourself working in Supernatural? Those two things can tie together. All right. So um, I was I was going to school to be a teacher and I had always wanted to be a makeup artist, but I was told I wasn't allowed to. It just wasn't something that paid. And I kept telling people, no, I'm going to work in the movie industry. And nobody believed me. I finished... Um, I guess that was my fourth year of university. I was going to practicum and I started having panic attacks. So I quit university. I moved to Toronto and I started in the film industry, originally doing music videos for much music uh, at a time when they did a thing called Video Fact. And they would hire us newbies to come out and work for half rates. And what would happen is, God, I hope I don't get them in trouble, is that they would get the funding, half the funding to make a video, and then everyone would work for half price and the band would get the video for free. And this is back when rock videos were a big deal. Right, right, right. Sure. And of course, I'd moved away to Toronto to kind of get away from the responsibilities of being a disappointment to my parents for quitting university. And then I came back when I was established as a makeup artist in film. I, I went to Ryerson. I did a bunch of courses. I studied my ass off, uh, worked for free. Ryerson, I assume, is a makeup school or is it a university with a makeup department? What is that? It's a university, actually, that has a, a film program. And gotcha, part great. Had, uh, part of it was film studies. And, you know, even in university, I was always taking anything to do with the arts. I was like, you know, history of music, history of film, history of art, anything to get away from probably science and math and things like that, because I'm dyslexic. So I had to kind of work. Gotcha. Here's a question for you. I know, I know we're going to talk supernatural, but on the heels of that answer, explain, because, you know, a lot of our listeners are big fans of the show, but not necessarily in the industry. How would you describe the difference between makeup application for the daily user of makeup? And makeup application for TV and film. And like, because I know there's a lot of elements, including the light, the scene. And so how would you, to the rank and file John Q. Citizen, how would you describe the difference? Okay, so there's a timeline in film and then there's things that have happened. So you're telling a story with the makeup. Whereas when you do your makeup, even for a Halloween party, you're doing a, a, a makeup to either look good or to look bad or to look a certain way. It's not changing and evolving. And I guess what you do um, that's kind of tricky in film is that you don't follow a timeline. It's shot out of sequence. So you have to break down the script and try to, with the makeup, tell the story and then make a timeline and stick to that. So when they shoot a certain day, you take that look and you shoot it, but it won't necessarily happen chronologically in real time. Time, we'll be saying, you know, somebody got beat up in the middle of the story and we're going to shoot that the first day of shooting. We don't even know how the fight scene went and we got to make it up as we go. So with the director and the actors and a lot of help from the creatives and also taking it from the script, you take key words and you try to figure out what the visual would be to interpret that and then somehow convey it to the audience. Then you present that to the actors, the director, the producers, and everybody, see what they say. And, you know, a lot of times with your best intentions, it's it's hard to make it match up for continuity's sake. When I'm telling a story with an actor, I'm not trying to make them look good. I'm trying to make them look real. And it was particularly hard on Supernatural because the first season we shot on film and the second season we made a huge transition to HD. And the makeups, to be honest, were really 
horrible looking because it just saw more than what my eyes saw. It was a huge learning curve for me. And therefore telling the story became um, a little bit more technical because I didn't trust what I was seeing on the monitor and I had to watch the dailies every day. And of course, there's lots of feedback from the producers and the actors are uncomfortable because they're not seeing the finished product either. They're telling me they look like Uh, (laughs) which unfortunately with HD at the very beginning, we didn't know much about it kind of fumbling our way. So there was a lot of really crazy stuff going on. Number one, that when you look in the mirror and you do your makeup, you leave the house and the lighting is pretty much the same. You know, maybe it's a little heavy for daylight, maybe not. You need a little more for nighttime. But when you're filming on HD, the lighting and the processing changes the makeup entirely. You have to work with the DOP. You have to work even with the art directors because the lighting and the color in the room changes the saturation of the makeup. I did makeups that you couldn't even see. And then I did makeups that looked horrendous because they were so in your face. And it's a huge learning curve because what they do also with color timing and people, this may be too much information, is they want a certain look for Supernatural. So they drained the saturation out of it. And then they bumped up quite often the contrast, which totally changes the makeup. And it's my job to watch the dailies or was my job to watch the dailies and really try to keep up with that stuff. Right. And so for people who are listening, the dailies are a copy of the footage that was shot the previous day arrives in your inbox or in the old days, I guess it came in 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 CDs or DVDs, but now it comes in in links. And so you can watch what you shot the very next day because they process it or process it if you're Canadian and it arrives to you and you can review what was what, what was shot. So now. What's the relationship, and this can be specific to Supernatural or in general, however you feel it plays best, between you as the key makeup artist working day in, day out with number one, number two, number three on a show, and the special effects team who come in and do certain makeups, like sometimes the cut is handled by you, sometimes it's a big enough gash where now here comes special effects, and where does that uh, relationship intertwine? Well, for me particularly, because I mostly did out-of-kit effects on the show, I did a few Bondo transfers, a few applications, mostly. Can you explain what out of kit means? To oh, the yeah, people? sorry. Just out of kit means basically I have a, I had about $50,000 worth of makeup. There was blood, there was effects, there was all kinds of colors I could paint with, things I could draw on, certain textures, and a variety of things that I could make small prosthetics out of. But when it came to the bigger things, particularly because Supernatural was so creature heavy and because HD was so unforgiving, we relied so heavily and worked so so hand in hand. I can't remember if it was all Schminken, but most of it what we were doing was Schminken, which is um, Toby Lindela and his company, or Lindella. I think it's Linda. Anyway, we were working hand in hand. We were at the production meetings together. We were talking about what passed over. You know, if something happens to a character, a beautiful character, and then they have to have a a huge prosthetic. Well, I don't have time, nor do I have the skill, to be honest, to pull that off, plus get the guys ready, plus break down the script, plus do the budget, plus, plus, plus. So being a a head of department, you just throw your ego out the door. Yeah, maybe I would have liked to have done more. I did most of the stuff on the guys because they didn't have heavy prosthetics for the most part. Um, They did in a few episodes and it was really hard on them. They do super long hours. I can't say enough good things about the special effects people. They're in sometimes at three o'clock in the morning so we can start shooting at seven. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, that's crazy. Four hours of makeup before I even show up. But then they might get to go home at noon 
or maybe not. They might be working a whole 24 hours by the time we wrap out and then they have a three hour cleanup at the end. It's really hard hours and you can't do it back to back. I could not have pulled off any of the looks that sold the creatures in a believable way on my own. I just couldn't have handled the workload. I couldn't have handled the creativity. Right. Builds are done um, outside of set, obviously. Right. Now, so now let me ask you this, though. Do you, because you're the head of the department, mm. the head of the makeup department, do you have a finger in that world? Meaning like, just to be sure, like, hey, this is the skin tone we use over here for this. So you can match it over there. Absolutely. That kind of stuff. Absolutely. If we had a beautiful female character, which by the way, all of them were, and right. we had to make them ugly or they changed into a werewolf per se. Like I think, oh, who was it? Well, anyway, there was lots of lots of creatures that because you got to think these people are beautiful, but really they're something else. Right. And when we transition those people, I still have to do their beauty makeup on top of the special effects because I've got all the products, right? And I know I know what it looks like. I know how to transition it onto the prosthetic. And I'm not saying that lots of prosthetic artists aren't amazing at what they, they do, plus do great makeup. Yes, but if they're coming in for their day or their couple of days, yeah. they weren't there for the preceding days where you set a template for this person's face. And then you also have to imagine that there's a lot of other things that have happened to this character that I've built up running mascara or with the guys lots of times there was bruises and other things. So they would do their thing and then I would still do my thing. And we got along great. I had... Right. Such an amazing experience and such an incredible respect for special effects artists because I got to see how hard they work and how talented they are and right. doing things that I honestly just don't have the hand for. Or maybe I have the hand for it, but I don't have the experience to do it in a timely fashion. Right. Yeah, sure. Of course. And so to that end, how many people on a normal day, how many other makeup artists were in that trailer? It was back in the day when we did a lot ourselves. I'm going to say, especially since COVID, there's been a lot more makeup artists working. We had in our trailer, I'm going to say we had eight stations. So we could have up to four makeup artists, I think, per day. Generally, I had myself, an assistant, and maybe a, a day player. But the special effects trailer, they some had, sometimes had big the huge 12 chair or whatever they could get. Sometimes we were using horse trailers when we we're out in the middle of nowhere. I think the most makeup artists we had one day was 14 or 15. Woo! But that's, that's big compared to, you know, some of the other stuff I've worked on because so much has changed since COVID. Like everybody has to have their own artist, like, you know. Right. And, and things have really changed. But back in the day, because I'm old school, our first season, it was just me and my assistant and maybe one prosthetic or two prosthetic people. When Jared and Dixon sometimes would be shirtless or not, or like open shirt to either show a tattoo or for whatever reason, A, do you do that tattoo work? And B, do you have to then apply body makeup of any, of any kind on them? Yes, absolutely. Um, there were some tattoos that I did. I think there was also some Bondo transfers. I'm trying to remember if we're talking about season three necessarily or just in general. I did all their body makeup. The The guys worked out. They were like always buff, but there's a certain amount of enhancement that you have to do just to tell the story. And they worked endlessly on set and then did their lines and then went to meetings and rehearsals and press and to the gym. But, you know, with the help of, highlight and shadow you can bring out their hard work and so we used um a spray tan a lot of the time 
I remember particularly we did a, a tattoo on Jensen. It was a real an intricate tattoo. I'm not sure whatever happened with it after I left the show, but it was on his back and it was uh, it was a real hard tattoo to match up. And now, of course, we have better ways of doing it. I did that tattoo. But now tattoos are easy. They make these stencils, you slap them on, you apply water. But applying the body makeup to a tattoo, yeah, that's tricky because you do need to make the tattoo look like it's under skin. Right. Okay. Yeah. So it wasn't a stick-on then at that point. You were drawing them on. Right. We were having the art department craft them. Um, Some of them that we used on the show, we would craft out of sign material like um, a vinyl. And then I would put it on and powder the edges and then I would paint in the design, pull it off and all the little attachment bits that you have on a sign, like there's little breaker points so that you, so it all sticks together. Then you'd hand paint all that in. It was super time consuming. I'm so glad that doesn't happen anymore. When you get the stencils that they used to send us, they were all this really blue kind of crazy purpley color if you had them made back then. And then you had to hand paint over it with you know your blue tattoo color and then you had to airbrush over that some skin so it was really lengthy process now when i um when i look at tattoos we generally um have them on this paper that you just add water to and they stencil on just like the stuff we had when in bubble gum wrappers when we were a kid we'll say like hey maybe we can just make those on giant photocopiers and Mm-hmm. sell them and so you can have them designed yeah it was it was a big time of change for technology in every respect but for sure combining the methods that i had at the time and the body makeup was a pretty daunting task plus like we talked about with you know the makeup if you see the makeup you're not you're not in the story yeah exactly you're, the goal is for it to go unnoticed right i mean right yeah okay guys hold on we're coming right back You can sense it calling out to you. New reality seeks you. Join the journey to save Anomaly. Place where sound is magic. The only way to enter the world is by looking inward. Along the way, you'll learn potions, chants, and enchantments that will help you both in that reality and yours. So, answer the call and let your campaign begin. Featuring the voices of Ruth Connell from Supernatural and Dead Boy Detectives. There are ordeals ahead, yet with guidance, you will face them head on without fear. Todd Stashwick from Star Trek Picard and 12 Monkeys. When the time arrives, wherever your journey takes you, be there with no attachments. And R&B singer N.C. Gray. There are worlds, realms, dimensions, and realities beyond yours. Anomaly is a role-playing meditation podcast that takes you into a world of magic and fantasy. You'll be invited to imagine yourself in scenarios such as learning to cast a tranquility spell or exploring a land vanquished by a dragon, but all connected by a shared mythology. The goal of guided fantasy role-playing meditations are to help you cultivate a sense of wonder, curiosity, balance, and joy in your inner world. Role-playing meditation is a form of escapism and relaxation, as well as a creative outlet for the imagination. 
The first campaign is an introduction to the world of Anomaly, its lands, magic, and secrets. In the eight chapters, you'll stretch your imagination, learn to center yourself, offer forgiveness, find confidence, relieve stress, and stop racing thoughts. Your true self will emerge, allowing you to manage your goals and dreams without confusion, distrust, or self-doubt. You can find it on Spotify, Apple, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Or visit SeekAnomaly.com to learn more. Anomaly spelled with an I-E, not a Y. Seek Anomaly. Hear its magic. Thanks for listening, everybody. And now back to the episode. I want to ask about the Doc Benton makeup. That was fantastic. I mean, he, he, it yeah. was, he was a real Frankenstein-looking character with the stitches down his face and and one eye. One eye was looked glass. Was that extensive to do? Was that all you? Was any of that digital? Was that all you? None of that. All of that was Toby Lindela. I can't remember the finished product, but I would guarantee some is digital. At the time, because, I mean, the budgets were so huge, just switching over to HD and, and adapting the color, sometimes the script supervisor would make a note to, to do some touch-ups because now you can just go in and feather the edges or whatever. That was, I believe that was Schminken. I don't want to say for sure because, like, it was 13 years ago, right? So, but it was it was a beautiful makeup and, um, you know, watching those guys work and seeing what they do is just incredible. Um, we were just discussing how how much is actually the head of department and yeah. how much is special effects. And on that show, every single episode, there was a huge special effects budget because I took care of Jared and Jensen and the blood work and the bruises and the usually the lead actress and some of the supporting actors. And there was always things that I was creating on them. But the big jobs, like you cannot even get your hand in there. You know, there's casting of their faces and their bodies sure. that have to be done. Then there's the builds. Then there's the tests and the screen tests and everything. So that and let's talk about the word, the term you've used it a couple of times. Build. When you're right, talking about build, right. you mean they take the mold of the face and they go back and build the prosthetic elements to that. Exactly. Correct. Exactly. Okay. Thanks for pointing that out. I always just talk some lingo that nobody understands. Well, no, that's a, listen. This is what we part of. Rob and I are the. Uh, link between the industry and the fans of the industry. So we're trying to be sure that everybody knows what everybody's talking about. Yes. yes. Well, it, it, there's another one I want to ask you about, maybe because this happened a lot, the uh, holy water. There was, a, oh, yeah. do you remember holy, like they have, at the beginning, they're, they're throwing this holy water on this demon. And uh, that's got to be kind of a nightmare because water's getting everywhere. Do you remember dealing with that? Yeah, yeah. You know, the interesting thing is because like, you know, the the sizzle and the smoke and everything sure. is CGI. Right. So you don't have to worry about actual keeping track of that uh where the water lands you know obviously if we're we're talking to wardrobe making sure things are waterproof or scotch guarded when i make it do a makeup i've read the whole script and i know if i have to make it waterproof and i know what i have to do to make it look the same but be waterproof and then i also know what do i have to do from the very beginning because if i'm working a lot with holy water why don't I just make a waterproof makeup? <laughs> right, right. And so you do that. And you can, there's sealers you can use. You can right. use um, yeah. water resistant colors. So I'm really particular when I'm reading the script that I break it down. I go, oh, this is going to happen. Well, I better build that into the makeup. Right. 
Gotcha. Now here's a, here's a question for you. And this, and I, I've sort of experienced this as an actor on a set, and I'm always interested to, to know the politics of it. Where does your job stop and the hair department's job start? Because if you're doing a, a something up by the hairline and it might have a little blood in it, where does that become? It's an awesome question. Well, first of all, let's just talk about gravity. The hair is above the face. And so anything that drips off the hair is going to end up on the body. So sometimes I would just say, well, where do you want to put it? What's going to work best for you? And then I'll follow that line down. Um, I was really fortunate. One of my best friends in the whole world came off that show. I mean, we knew each other. Jeannie Chow did hair. Um, we knew each other before then. We met on Dead Man's Gun. Yeah, we've had Jeannie Chow on the on the podcast before. She's awesome. Oh, wait, and I knew her from the day. Yeah, she's great. Of course, and I got to watch that because I would love to see what she had to say. But a lot of times um, in the production meeting, we'll develop a story. And so if there is a head wound and head wounds bleed a lot, it starts in the hair and she takes care of that because she's got to clean that wig or or wash that hair at the end of the night. And then we'll talk about, well, what product are we going to use? And we'll both use the same product. And then, of course, we have to use a product that's clothes friendly right? So where um, hair ends is if it's off the head and there's a joining part from the head hair to the sideburn, the sideburn becomes makeup and the beard becomes makeup and anything obviously below the head is makeup. Um, Mostly I remove hair. I don't add it, but you know, special effects people have to add hair if they get growing for some crazy reason for werewolves or whatever. But um, you work really so much hand in hand. Generally, I would do my makeup touches before the hair because then the hair gets placed over it. Sometimes you don't have time and I would just go under, do my touches and and just like trying to replace the hair and say, hey, Jeannie, does that look right? And, you know, she's busy with one person. I'm busy with another. She'll go a little to the left, a little to the right. Or she'll say to me, hey, you know, the blood didn't match. I just joined it. Is that okay? Thank you. Yes. We work together so tight. It's not always the same with right. um, makeup artists and hairdressers, there's often a little bit of tension, but uh, I was super lucky. Yeah. Super lucky on Supernatural. For Boom. Sure. <laughs> I was so lucky. So in the, and I know you talked about the special effects element of, of the Doc Benton character. When that is being conceived, mm-hmm. though, off when it's just on paper and it's just described, that's not necessarily dictated dictating who does what yet, right? Like it has to be decided. Do you? Because sometimes you might take a character like that, and maybe it does fall under your 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 umbrella. So, at what point in the development process or in the breaking down process do you go like, oh, this is going to be more complex? We're going to kick this over to special effects. And where does that? Conversation have. Also, I have a follow up question to that because his that that specifically that character is such a design. Is there are there ever sketches made like, hey, this is what I want the face to look like? Hundred percent. Okay, I'm just gonna say one Kim word: Manners. Kim Manners, or two sure. words. Um, Kim used to make the calls on that. Like he would say, "This is what we want. This is the vision." We would send pictures to Eric. Eric would send them back. All the producers would be involved. There would be a lot of artwork done, a lot of sketches done. Um, you know, they have a team for that. Then they'd say, "Well, you know, can you do this out of kit?" And I'd be like, "No, there's no way I have time, and it's not worth it for continuity's sake. You need." to do that with a special effects team. Sometimes it would be so elaborate that right off the bat, I would not even be involved and they would go straight to special effects. And by the time I got the script, they'd already designed all that. And all I had to do was match my my storyline to their storyline so that, you know, it all looked like it was flowing in case the person did a transition from a straight makeup 
into that, then I collaborate with the special effects people. But none of that was in my hands. I had very little creative control in the sense that um, it was decided there's there's some folklore involved. There's some real strict folklore, especially in the first three seasons. Yeah. And then there is the director's vision and the producer's vision. And then there's the network, right? right? So my job wasn't to create. It was to try to create what they wanted and also work within a budget that was reasonable. Because a lot of times, you know, we have these lofty ideas that are going to take eight hours to put together and the actors are in turnaround, which means that we can't start filming when the light comes up and then we're going to run out of light. A lot of that stuff doesn't depend on me. What I thought my biggest skill set was, was being flexible and knowing my limitations and knowing when I couldn't handle going home, getting two hours of sleep and coming back to do the special effects. So a lot of times it was already, it was just a no brainer Mm -hmm. really. Yeah. But the designs were not mine. Never. The actor and the directors designed it and then they told me what to do. And if they didn't like it, I'd redo it it till they liked it. Interesting. And you made a good point that a lot in the a lot of these uh, the, in the first three seasons, a lot of the characters were from folklore. So you had that you had to sort of fit it into whatever that idea was. Yeah, and there was still and there was lots of reference material for the folklore, and probably ten or twelve interpretations of every single character. So I just got what the director, the producer, and the network had decided on, and then we would meet with the actor. And of course, the actor wants to put a little bit of a stamp on it yeah. as well. I not to put my stamp on it because that's not my right. job. My job not to like I'm an artist and I I know how mm-hmm. to paint and stuff but my job is actually to take care of the actor, make sure it fits into the budget, make sure that everybody's yeah. happy. Hopefully make it so that it disappears. Now listen, so you you mentioned it. Kim Manners who obviously was the visionary producing director of Supernatural who's lauded by everybody who ever speaks his name. One final question. Did you spend a lot of time getting to connect with Charles Beeson on this episode, who is also a beloved figure who we lost during COVID? Oh, highlight of my career. Highlight of my career. Can you elaborate um, on that? Yeah. He was, Charles is probably one of the nicest, most considerate directors I've ever worked with. He was an absolute gem with the actors. He had a sense of humor and a softness at the same time. He had an incredible eye and he was, he had a tiny ego. Like he, he just let people shine. He let them do their job. He was just so incredibly pleasant and he brought such grace, a humbleness to the set. I felt like when he was on set, nobody had to yell. Hmm. And I don't, I, I feel like he set that tone, you know, like just with his demeanor and with his ultimate respect and humbleness that he brought. Wow, that's an oh, unbelievable so nice. uh, description of a, yeah. of a wonderful man. I, I got, I had the good fortune of working with him, but doing it once as an actor is not the same as doing it at the level you did it, uh, and more than once. And and that speaks volumes. And and you echo what so many people say about him: just class act from the beginning to the end. Uh, terrible loss, but what a great contribution he had to the show. Thank you so much, Shannon. It's uh, you, This is lovely. And, you know, I'm sorry we never got to work together. You were gone, I think, before I got there. By the way, I know but, when you uh, and I bonded, by yeah. the way. I mean, aside from the fact that we you did makeup on me. Do you remember when that terrible storm happened at the college and we were all stuck inside for hours upon hours? Yes. Yeah. So that was the first episode I ever did. And I remember, and that's how I know you and Jeannie. Because we were just sat there for hours, just kind of like, well, we're stuck inside with this storm going. So let's not get hit by plywood. Let's sit in here and talk. 
Um, like, remember, I said trauma bonding. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Exactly. It is it's the so. Side of trauma bonding. Exactly. It's the, up, the upside. <laughs> yes. Thank you so much for doing this. That was a fascinating education. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you. For, and by the way, uh, I got to say, you know, the Supernatural is a massive, massively popular show. It wasn't yeah. always so. It struggled along the first few seasons before it really caught its groove. And every single one of you who were involved in those initial seasons are responsible for that show's success. Because at any given moment, something could have gone awry. So thank you for your, your great work on that show. Hey there, this is Jared Padalecki, and I hope you're enjoying the episode. But we got to pull over for a second for some messages. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What's the first thing you'd do if you had an extra hour in your day? What would you do? Would you go for a run, take a nap, read a book, watch Supernatural? Maybe all the above. Or maybe it's that thought that brings in a sense of panic. I mean, the question is, what time for what? If time is unlimited, how do we use it? Sometimes the hardest time for people who work every day is the weekends. When people are faced with a choice, if I've got this free time, what do I do with it? If this rings true for you, maybe therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. I've benefited from therapy for many years now, and I talk openly about it. I still go to therapy um, about once a week, and it's just such a nice time for me to to have that free space to to try to figure out who I am really and what i really want and what makes me happy it's super important and often neglected taking this time if you're thinking about starting therapy give better help a try it's entirely online it's designed to be convenient and flexible and suited to your schedule so all you do is you fill out this brief questionnaire you get matched with a licensed therapist and then oh get this you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge because they want you to be happy that's what this is about. So learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash S-P-N-T-A-N today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash S-P-N-T-A-N. Hey guys, it's Rob. So check this out. I'm very pleased to announce that we have a new super sponsor. That's right. Marvel Strike Force. So Marvel... The one and only Marvel has a mobile game, and it's a comic book fan's dream. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. So, okay, so your goal is to power up your favorite characters, and you complete missions, and then you unlock fun stuff like gear and other resources, and then you beat other players in a PvP, player versus player mode, such as Alliance War or Real-Time Arena. So as we, as I record this, they're enjoying their six-year anniversary. So you know what that means. Free stuff. Free stuff just for signing up via the unique link in the description. So the anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. And if you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. So make sure you log in every day, each week. You take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out. We've received a unique promo code for every new user, so please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. That's M-A-X-P-O-O-L. All right.
thanks once again to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. Thanks for listening. Now, back to the episode. Well, that was terrific. She was so lovely. So you remember working with her? Yeah, very much so. She she was, my first episode, there was a big windstorm that kept us all uh, stuck inside when we were doing Tall Tales at the university where we shot that. So we were all kind of hunkered down, not shooting for a long period of time. And she and Jeannie Chow and I and several other People just kind of chewed the fat for longer than you would usually on a set because we had this unexpected downtime. So that's how I got to know her. And she was just awesome. And again, I remember thinking, holy smokes, I've never like bonded with these department heads on an episode of a show when I'm a guest star. This is great. But it just speaks to how kind they all are. Exactly. And it highlights what a team, what team players, everyone who worked on this show was. Indeed. And uh, what a great episode for makeup. I mean, she, it was a long time ago for her, but uh, having just watched it, just just between special effects and makeup, this uh, this episode was quite a, quite a feat. A lot going on, a lot going on. Yeah, anyway, yeah. it was a great interview. And now it's time for... Mythology! 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 All right, Dr. Tom Benton. There's a real myth about Doc Benton. Legend has it that since the 1800s, there have been sightings of him around New Hampshire's Mount Musilauke. Musilauke. Musilauke, which um, it's a great mount. If anybody knows about great mounts, it's Rob Benedict, Mr. Mount. It's a great mount, and it's... Uh... Hey, what's your favorite mount, Rob? Is it dismount? <laughs> It's a mountain joke. I think, uh, yeah, that's just uh, weird that that's where he is. He's just around Musilake, just taking in the mount. He likes to, he, he likes to take a dip in the lake. He was born in Benton, New Hampshire. Do you think it's ironic that it, uh, it's it got moose right there in the title and he tried to scoop out uh, Jared Padalecki's eyeballs? Ooh. His nickname is also Moose. It's also a weird coincidence that his name is Benton and he was born in Benton, New Hampshire. And that your last name is Benedict and Ben, Ben, it sounds like somebody wants a beignet. Oh, no, not that. Not that at all. You know what? You don't like that joke? Ben Boo. So he studied to become a doctor when he was in Germany. While there, he became interested in alchemy and secrets to eternal life. Why Why am I not surprised that the guy who becomes the creepy zombie and fiddles with, like, stealing body parts is German? Yeah. <laughs> Seems a tad on the nose. Yeah. After graduating, he returned to New Hampshire and became a local doctor. Now, is this true or is this this the myth? I don't know. This, there is an actual Tom Benton from Benton, New Hampshire. Okay, accounts... Very, but soon after he returned, somebody close to him died, a parent or a lover. Ooh, pick one. Jeez, that's a, that's a pretty wide swat there. <laughs> yes. Supposedly he had a mental break, which I'm about to have. <laughs> and had one. soon animals and corpses started to disappear. People from town suspected Doc Benton might have something to do with it and went to his cabin in the woods to question him. That never goes well when a, when a bunch of angry townsfolk come out to the ca- your cabin in the woods to quote-unquote question you. Right. Well, also, like, nothing ever good ever happens in a cabin in the woods. Nope. When they arrived, it seemed that nobody had been at the cabin for months. People searched everywhere for him, but he seemed to have vanished. Months later, sightings of him started to occur and have happened through the late 1900s. That's an interesting uh, Doc Benton myth. You know what myths I'm not looking forward to discussing? What? Lilith myths. <laughs> We're just going to sound like we have no teeth. 
<laughs> well, that's a myth. That's interesting. That Doc Benton, real creepy. Uh, well played by Billy Drago. And just uh, what a creepy character and what a creepy real guy. Unless, of course, he's been falsely maligned because they never really caught the guy doing anything. You know what I mean? So this whole thing could just be a real bummer if you were just a good small town doctor. And now you're like, wait, you think I did what now? The mythology <laughs> yeah. says, huh? Uh, right. No proof. No proof. But even the fact that you're saying it, you know, 150 years later. Yeah. Bummer for Doc Benton if this is means uh, that, not true. But if it is true, shame on you, Doc Benton. Shame, shame, shame. And now it's time for... Fun Facts! Fun Facts! Fun Facts! So fun. What if there's a Lilith myth that takes place in a mist? Lilith myth mist. <laughs> what if it happens around Christmas? Lilith myth mist around Christmas. Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> All right, fun fact. The title of this episode comes from a song written by Jerry Ragavoy and originally performed by a jazz musician named Kai Winding. The Rolling Stones made it popular with their cover of the song. I'm going to embarrass myself and tell you that I thought it was an original Rolling Stones song. I'd... I knew it was a cover, but I couldn't have told you the details about old Jerry and well, Kai. What a great song. The story of John Winchester fighting Doc Benton is told in a prequel comic book. In 1983, John faced him and cut out his heart with a chainsaw. How dainty. Wow. So is there, there's an official comic book for Supernatural? I did not know that till right now. <laughs> wow. I did not know that. Here we go. Is there a fun fact that I uh, hinted at earlier? Dean makes a joking reference to The Walking Dead. The TV series hadn't existed yet. He's referring to the comic book, of course, uh, the comic book that the TV show was based on. Both Lauren Cohan and Jeffrey Dean Morgan went on to become stars of that TV franchise. That's pretty cool. It's pretty cool overlap there. Yeah, I uh, I recently bought my son, I don't know if I've talked about this, but I recently bought my son uh, the comic book. There's a, like a big, I don't know, the several of the comic books together in like a, you know, a big uh, book. Really? Yeah, it's great. It's 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 so surprising too, like how much from the TV show, the first three or four seasons are in the comic book, like specifically to down to things people wear. That's amazing. Um, um, yeah. you, uh, so that's really cool, really random. I also say for people who are following this uh, episode and everything we're saying about it, if you haven't seen The Untouchables, watch that to see Billy Drago, who's so great. Yes, I need to rewatch that. Worth watching, great movie. I showed it to the boys recently and it totally holds up. Oh, cool. Yeah, I always love that movie. Great movie about Al Robert De Niro as Al Capone. Yeah. Elliot Ness, played by uh, our very own Kevin Costner. It's such a good movie. Yeah, yeah. Sean and Connery. Yeah. Andy and Garcia, new, the newcomer Andy Garcia. It's great. Yeah, is Andy Garcia's first thing. Uh-huh. Uh, all right, guys, I can't wait for the next episode. It'll be the season finale, so the stay truncated tuned. season three, the finale of it all. This episode of Supernatural features Jared Padalecki as Sam Winchester, Jensen Ackles as Dean Winchester. Guest stars included Lauren Cohen, Jim Beaver, Stephen Williams, Billy Drago, Peter Birkenhead, and Adrian Holmes. Time is on my side was written by Sarah Gamble and directed by the one and only Charles Beeson. Man, gentleman and scholar and artist. Miss that man. Editing by Tom McQuaid. Music by Christopher Lennertz. Executive produced by Eric Kripke and Robert Singer. The original broadcast of this episode featured the following songs. Jack Squat. Because there's no music listed there. This episode originally aired on May 8th, 2008. Which, by the way, is the birthday of my good friend, David Fredrickson. And that is very important for everyone to know. Well, it's important to the Fredericksons, maybe not you, Ice Cold Princess. This episode of Supernatural <laughs> Then and Now was hosted and executive produced by Richard Spade Jr. and Rob Benedict. Produced by Stephen Hine, written by Stephen Hine and Hayda Holscher. And edited and associate produced by Trey Booty. What's up, Booty? Music provided by Tim Wynn. 
The episode was recorded with the help of Sonic Fuel Studios. This podcast is from Story Mill Media. Follow the podcast, won't you, on Instagram and Twitter at SBN Then and Now. And please, dear God, become a member of the podcast at www.patreon.com slash SPN Then and Now. You won't be sorry. Make sure you put in that www. You never say the www, and I'm here to support the www people. It's written there. It's written there, and it doesn't need to be. It's a waste of words. Wow. It's a waste of letters. Ooh. The old www. <laughs> We're going to have to take out our, our www uh, at the WWE. <laughs> Follow the podcast, won't you, on Instagram and Twitter and Twitter. And we are unmuted. Unmuted, everybody. This is Rob Benedict. Unmuted. Unmuted and and raw. Rawr. Rawr. Good morning, everybody. It's uh, Did you guys know that Rob Benedict goes by, you know what he goes by in uh, Los Angeles, Rob Benedict or, or Bobby Benny or, or, or Robbo Benny or Robo Bobo. Okay. Or, Baby BB, he all, does it a lot. All, all those are new to me, but go ahead. <laughs> but you know what he does in, uh, you know what he goes by in uh, New Orleans? Robbie Beignet. Ah. Just so everybody knows. That's okay. You see him in New Orleans this weekend, or at some point, you call uh, him Monsieur Beignet. I will only answer to Monsieur Beignet. <laughs> Monsieur Beignet. It's great. So everybody now can see your glasses. You know what I mean? Like, got your glasses going on. Yeah. And then they can see your hat. They're like, you just look like a hipster, man. You well, look like, I, you know, I look like I'm in a uh, truck stop bathroom. You look like a real hipster. I don't know. Truck stop bathroom is just the way the hipster is going these days. One of my favorite bands, truck stop bathroom. <laughs> um, um, all right. Should we get into the penultimate episode of season three? You know, they made a movie about uh, this section of- uh, Called RRR? Yeah, the podcast. You can watch it on Netflix. What's it called? RRR. I didn't know that. There's a movie called RRR. It's a, yeah, it's like a Bollywood movie. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, it's, a, a, it's supposed to be fantastic. Why did someone say I failed? I don't know why I failed. Someone in our chat said I failed. I, I, you know, it's, it's a. Uh... I love the fact that you're so susceptible. But they, they could literally be talking to their friend about something else. Yeah, I took my test today. I failed, and you'd go, I failed. No, they they said I failed and I robbed. You fail, okay. Rob? Okay. Absolutely. Um, all right, now here comes uh, producer Steve Hine uh, with to take us to the principal's office. Yeah, to, now we're in trouble. To tell us we're fired. No, now it's time for Steve Hine to run what he likes to call the Q and A. Right, uh, Steve. Story Mill Media. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.